It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's going from bad to worse for Jose Mourinho. Hello and welcome to The Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes I'll once again be dissecting through all the hot topics in football. As you should know by now, the aim is to separate all the football and wheat from the chaff as in this episode we look back on another weekend's Premier League action. I've fallen foul of an injury crisis so you're stuck with me this week but let's hope that doesn't have you reaching for the stop button. Anyway, I best do some social media bits first otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more or I'll be talking into the abyss once more shall I say. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. I'm on Twitter at DanTrace1983. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, send them my way and we will discuss them on the show. Twitter is the main place where you can find the show each week and you can also find it at realfootballcast.com. From there, you'll see links to download or stream to your device and you can also find us via SoundCloud or Audioboom. In addition to that, I have some news, some very big news actually, and that is that we're finally on iTunes. Eight weeks late, but sounding great. So, like I say, on iTunes, you can listen from there, but more importantly, you can now subscribe. That means you'll never miss an episode, and you have no more excuses not to listen to what must be said is the greatest football podcast in the world. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is in association with Loserpool. If you heard last week, Loserpool has finally launched a live cash pool, one that I must say I've cleared the first hurdle. More on that later, though. You can still enter that pool and it probably makes sense to do so, as soon there will be a loser pool with a guaranteed prize pot of £1,000. Therefore, I would recommend you to go to loserpool.com, open an account and get to grips with how it works before the real fun starts and we play for big, big money. Right then, it's time to go live. So where should we go to first then? Let's go to Manchester. Actually no, tell a lie, let's go to East London Let's go to West Ham, and obviously they made the biggest headline of the week. Well, they and Manchester United, because West Ham got the better of them by a scoreline of three goals to one. Going into the game, of course, it was not the best of um, preparations for United. Not a week to write home about. You've got a league draw with Wolves at home. You know, that's two points dropped. As good as Wolves have been, you know, United should really be getting the better of them. But 
Perhaps that's a measure of how good Wolves have been this season. I don't know. Derby, they got some joy out of Old Trafford also. They managed to move on to the next round of the Carabao Cup as they knocked out United via a penalty shootout. Phil Jones, uh, true to form once again with a missed penalty. He's done that before at Old Trafford. And also, don't forget, there's the Mourinho Pogba Maelstrom, which is um, circling high above the uh, theatre of dreams at the moment. It's more a theatre of nightmares, I guess, but that's not going to help any preparations either. Add to the fact that West Ham were sort of bullish and buoyant going into the game. They've got the shackles off after a slow start to the season. A very slow start to the season, it must be said. But, you know, they're playing with freedom. They've got the win against Everton, and then they took that into a draw against Chelsea. So four points out of uh, possible six in those last two games. He's now seven from nine as they got the, uh, well, the perfect result, really, and almost perfect performance. Games like that, it's a case of many will look at it and think, OK, where did United go wrong? And the focus is always on, on them, really, as a team. Or not just United, but when a team in the big six loses to a team lower down the league, it's always a case of an off day. It's never really the credit goes to the winning team. And I think that really does West Ham a disservice, really, because to a man, they just outclassed United, didn't they? United turned up with a, a head-scratching formation, no natural width, and that's something that West Ham took full advantage of. The likes of Anderson and Yarmolenko... Um, whether they both got the score sheet, I don't know. Yarmolenko's goal is probably an own goal due to Lindelof's sort of looping deflection. But I guess that in itself sort of summed up United's day. Um, United had a small glimpse of um, joy in Rashford's goal. That made it 2-1. But then, obviously, minutes later, Mark Noble parts the Red Sea. Arnautovic slots it home and it's 3-1 game over. You'd think to yourself, perhaps if Lukaku's effort in the first half... Goes in the goal instead of outside the goal. It hit the post and went outside um, to safety. If that goes in, it might have changed the complexion of the tie. You know, you might sort of think, okay, a slow start from United, but now they're into it. But it wasn't the case, was it? I mean, 1-0, like I say, turns to 2-0. And even then, it sort of felt like game over. They looked United a little bit more lively after Rashford came on. It needed some sort of spark. But at the same time, you have to sort of ask yourself... Why does Lukaku never get subbed off? He seems to be the sort of the crown jewels, it were, but he's almost at the same time infallible against any bad performance. I'm not sort of advocating him being hooked off every game, but he seems to be almost Teflon in the in the sense that he doesn't he doesn't I don't know is he a flat track bully? That's a sort of another argument for another episode, I guess. But it was not a, a crowning sort of a afternoon or lunchtime for him. Like I say, United looked livelier, but they were just second best really, weren't they? Pogba. He was, uh, well, whether he's thrown under the bus or not, I don't know. But he was hauled off in the second half. That's not going to help the situation. It's only going to add further fuel to the fire. What about Alexis Sanchez? I mean, he wasn't even on the pitch at any point. After a, a game against Wolves last week, you know, that was bad enough in itself. But you would think with the the talent or the lack thereof that United have at their disposal at this sort of present moment in time... He really, even for all his faults and his lacklustre performances, he is still one of, if not United's best player. So, so to not even feature at all is a damning indictment of not just his start to the season, but maybe even his time at Old Trafford. I mean, that almost sort of says it all, really. But in terms of United and where they go from here, um, well, they need to pick themselves up quickly, don't they? They're now at the time of recording 10th in the Premier League. Their worst start to a Premier League season since, is it 1998 or something like that? Well, you know, since since time began, because United fans don't really look that far back, do they? But um, 
yeah, it's not it's not ideal. You've got Gary Neville putting the boot into the club, saying that it's not necessarily the managerial appointments that are, are wrong, you know, uh, but it's the hierarchy and the lack of forward planning, the lack of actual sort of plans going ahead, which is causing them to have one step forward, two steps back. You've, you know, it's Moyes, it's Van Hal, it's now Mourinho. The question is really, who out of Mourinho goes out of him and Pogba? I did a poll in the week. We all love a fan poll, don't we? You know, that's the, the bread and butter of Twitter at the moment. But um, quite simply, who would leave United first? Is it going to be Mourinho or Pogba? And 65% of you of about 200 people who voted, so thanks for taking the time to vote if you're out there. 65% reckon Mourinho, and I reckon 65% of you are bang on. The question, though, is just when will he leave or when will he be told to leave? Because you'd get the feeling that, you know, it's going to have to be something as bad as his time at Chelsea when he sunk like a stone in the season after winning the second title at Stamford Bridge. It would have to be something along those lines for Ed Woodward to pull the uh, the trigger this early in the season. I know sort of everyone talks about Zidane being on standby. Um, that is a sort of... I guess it's a rumour where people are putting two and two together, making four, because it, it could happen. Um, whether it's going to happen mid-season, I'm not too sure. At the same time, if Mourinho fails to get United into the top four come the end of the season, then that is the smoking gun that Woodward needs. And you would have to think there, at that point, that Mourinho's time at Old Trafford becomes almost untenable, really, doesn't it? I mean, from there, you sort of think to yourself, well... Where can he go from there? And I think the only way is out the exit door at Old Trafford. It almost needs a new era, really. You can look at the, the team, the personnel that he has at his uh, disposal at the moment, and you're just sort of thinking, no one wants to play for Mourinho at the moment. It's just it's a, a mixture of downbeat players that are off the boil, the lack of intensity, there's just no sharpness. It's square pegs in round holes. Even signing Sanchez was like a vanity signing. Where you look at it and think, obviously, you know, if he was at his Arsenal pomp, he would be a great addition for any club, you know, wherever. But he's not been that player, whether that's because he is, you could say he's tired because he has played a lot of international tournaments for Chile in the past without a break. I know he didn't play in the World Cup, but that's going to have something of an effect, if not, you know, an overriding effect. But probably the more pertinent reason is the fact that... um, it just doesn't really fit in United system, or United system doesn't get the best out of him. It's just like I say, he's like a, you know, square peg in a round hole, really. And I guess that is a statement that you could make about Paul Pogba, isn't it? I mean, it's a funny one, really. Pogba, well, he's a funny one, that he uh, he seems to save his best performances for country rather than club, and that's an accusation that many feel is the case. A point made further evident by the fact that um, he's won the World Cup. So obviously that is apparent, but at the same time, it's probably a slightly unfair stick to beat him with because, again, it harks back to whether United deploy a system that gets the best out of him. Sometimes he's played wide, sometimes he's played through the middle. You know, Obviously it shows he's versatile, but it sort of shows also, look, why not put him in a position he's going to really excel at? If France can crack it, then why can't Mourinho? But, you know, we look at the Mourinho-Pogba debate, United have spent £89 million on Pogba. They've spent a lot more um, for Mourinho spending, but that's a, another issue. But when we look at Pogba, £89 million, United aren't... They're not sort of ram-packed with world-class stars, are they? They've got a decent crop of talented players, but when you compare them to 
Manchester City, dare I say even Liverpool, they're not at that level at the moment, are they? So you can't really be advocating them getting rid of Pogba. That's something the club will loathe to be wanting to do. In terms of a disposable commodity, it's Mourinho. If push comes to shove, you know, even perhaps if they do get in the top four, you might have to then consider if that's the time where they just shake hands. It's an amicable spit. Thanks for all your work, Jose, but we need to go in a different direction. If Sedan's waiting, it's not just going to be United that are eyeing him up. There's going to be undoubtedly other clubs. You know, it's all about timing when you get into the sort of managerial merry-go-rounds. Is it a case of United need to act quick to make sure they act first? Because if they miss this chance, then their options are sort of diminished in terms of who they could get as a um, Mourinho replacement. Tottenham fans may have to sort of look with one eye open because the more downspin that United have, then perhaps they'll look closer to Pochettino. That's, you know, that's something, that's, I guess for me as a Tottenham fan, that's the nightmare scenario. But it could be the one that's more realistic if that, um, you know, if Zidane decides he doesn't even want to go back into management. He's, uh, you know, he's won enough. Why sully your record and go to Old Trafford and sort of perhaps taint everything you've done for Real Madrid? Um, you know, I wouldn't blame him if he just said no, but I'm, I'm fine. You know, you couldn't argue if he did. Um, Real Madrid is quite a, a, a strong link to Mourinho anyway, isn't it? You know, we've seen this all before. Player power always wins out no matter where you are and player power won out of the burnabout, didn't it? For Paul Pogba, Reed Sergio Ramos, a row there. Ramos tore him to shreds. Doing that, obviously, tipped the balance of power in his favour. But not only that, he sort of lost the dressing room, didn't he, Mourinho? And once you lose the dressing room anywhere, it's... It's just a matter of when you are shown the door by you know by your own petard or you're told to go. You do sort of get the feeling that with the wheels are in motion slightly. You know it only needs a couple of wins, and United will dust this crisis in inverted commas off, and they'll you know they'll bounce back as they sort of seem to have of doing at times. But they need to bounce back. They've got Newcastle at the weekend. Newcastle haven't even won a game this season, so there's a lot riding on that for both clubs. Mourinho and Benitez are, you know, two old foes. They're going to sort of lock horns once again. And you get the feeling that if Mourinho doesn't get this one right, then it's going to be red peril for United. So where should we go to now, then? Let's go to Stamford Bridge, where the biggest game of the week took place. Not making the biggest headline. That was obviously what we just spoke about. But, um, yeah, Chelsea-Liverpool. Honours even which if you offered both sides at the start of the game, they would have probably taken. The mantra always is in Titanic clashes such as these. It's sort of just try and get something out of it. Um, To win a title, the the case usually is beat everyone else outside the top six, get something out of it, you know, even if it's a draw against your big six rivals, don't let them get too far away. So, you know, they'll probably be on balance happy with a point each. At the same time, though, will Chelsea feel... Like it's two points dropped, possibly. I mean, it was a hell of a goal that they conceded. It probably needed a hell of a goal for them to concede because Liverpool just lacked that sharpness when it mattered. I mean, um, people are already talking about Mo Salah tongue-in-cheek being a one-season wonder, um, which is very unfair, really, when you think about it. Um, But I guess what people forget is that he's in and around the same kind of stats for this season than he is last at this time of the season. So there's no real worry there. But I think the fact that he's ended so strong, people wanting him to sort of hit the ground running and sort of continue that 
trajectory straight away. But if, you know, if that was the case, he'd be scoring two or three a game. So that's not going to happen. But I think it's unfair to write him off. But I guess at the same time, it's making a rod for your own back. If you are someone who comes in in a first real season of Premier League action, I know he's obviously been a Chelsea player for about five minutes beforehand. You know, if you have such a great first season for club, the expectations are, okay, go and do it again. If you don't do it again, people will start talking and and sort of um, disparaging circles. But, you know, there's plenty of time for him to sort of um, get through the gears and I'm sure he'll be sort of um, banging in goals left, right and centre towards the uh, middle and end of the campaign, which is really, when you want to be winning league titles, exactly when you need a player. So it's all very well picking up points and having a great start now. But that counts for nothing if you slip away in this second sort of um, area, second phase of the season, the final third of the season. Do you know what I mean? That's when it really matters. So if he ticks along now, then there's not going to be no real issue. And also, if the likes of Sadio Mane and Daniel Sturridge can sort of chip in, not forgetting Roberto Firmino, but if someone like Sturridge, who was almost the forgotten man at Liverpool, you know, he was farmed out on loan to West Brom last season in the uh, January transfer window, had another injury. Many felt that it was not only perhaps the end of his Liverpool career, but maybe even, dare I say, him as a top-flight player. You know, you sort of, you did wonder where he's going to come back from that or if he was ever going to hit the heights of, say, that 2014 season where Liverpool come so close um, to winning the title then. But it's good, you know, he's back and he's not only getting much-needed minutes, he's getting goals that will boost his confidence, goals that, you know... Not only was the one against uh, Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, but also this fantastic goal on Saturday, which you would think, if he keeps that up, you would expect him to be knocking on the door of an England recall, wouldn't you? I mean, England strikers as a whole, they're few and far between. You could say that's down to the way that England's shape is now, and perhaps, dare I say, the death of the Bond Day striker. And we don't need so many. But when you're looking down the list, you've got, you know, Kane... Rashford, Welbeck, it's not a very extensive lift thereafter. So if Sturridge can get in the frame there, then full credit to him and, you know, long may his uh, good form continue for club and country. But from a Chelsea point of view, they'll be they'll be happy with their points return after seven matches. That's what, that's uh, 17 now, so they're two off the top spot. Um, but, you know, the way that Sarri has come in, it's been... A quite revolution. It's not really all that, or has it been evolution? It's hard to sort of say. Probably one or the other, or both. But um, the way he's just sort of come in with the same kind of players, no real overhauls. You know, he's brought in Kovacevic and Jorginho, but by and large, it's the same players that were not really fancy under Chelsea last under uh, Conte last season, should I say? So you know, it's been steady, but at the same time, he sort of hit the ground running and. They do play really expansive, interesting, you know, easy on the eye football. Hazard's back firing on all cylinders as well. The question whether he's truly world class is probably one that he's not going to be answered sort of just yet. I think the only way he can answer that is if he gets to sort of Salah level goals from last season. You know, for all of his trickery and obvious sort of skill that he has in abundance, you know, and that's not forgetting he scored himself on Saturday, but. He needs to be doing that, you know, in the 20s, the 25s, even say the 30s, like a real blockbuster season. And then we can really start talking about him being world class. Whether that means he sort of helps Chelsea to uh, to like a European title, but that's not going to happen in terms of the Champions League this season. 
maybe it's Europa League, but I don't think you can win that and be labelled as world class. But all the tools are there. Um, it's just a case of whether he can uh, play a big part in helping Chelsea win a third Premier League title in five years. It could be the case. I mean, no one's writing them off. No one's really talking them up at the same time, which probably does them a favour because the focus seems to be on Liverpool and Manchester City. Probably, actually, the focus seems to be more on Liverpool and no one's really talking about Manchester City. It's almost like a given that they're there, but it's almost like everyone's painting the picture that it's Liverpool's lead to win this season and if they don't, they'll fall short and they'll fail. But, you know, that's we'll have to see how that pans out. But Chelsea, they'll like the fact they're just on the outskirts. You know, they're sort of waiting for the two teams in front of them to combust and they're ready to pick up the pieces. So they're in a position they'll want to be. If they want to set the pace, then you know, it puts them the, the pressure on them. But they're sort of just, you know, seven games in, thirds. If you took that to a Chelsea fan at this stage of the season, I think they'd be more than happy with that. And things can only really get better for them. So it's going to be a really interesting title race. And if results go their way come uh, come Sunday, then they're back in the mix straight away, aren't they? With Man City uh, travelling to Liverpool. More on that in a bit. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, an interesting landscape the title race is already offering us. It looks like it's going to be from those three teams. We talk about the big six. And you can sort of consider yourself really looking at a, a top three and a bottom three of that big six, if that makes sense. Um, as it is now, I mean, really, can United get into top six? I mean, they probably will on the balance of, you know, the fact they will finally get themselves out of a mess, whether that's because they change manager or they get a, a kick up the bum or whatever. They'll they'll find their, their level, but I don't think that level is necessarily the, uh, the Champions League next season. And next up, we're going to go to the Etihad, where the defending champions of Manchester City have gone back to the top, but no one's really mentioned it, have they? Let's go to the Etihad next, where Manchester City got the better of Brighton. A 2-0 win, which in fairness didn't really teach us too much. I mean, it was always going to be a home banker for City. So much so that JS picked Brighton in his loser pool pick last week. And he got that spot on. And also, get well soon, JS. I know you're not feeling too good at the moment, so hopefully you'll be back with us next week. But uh, going back to the game itself, Brighton, they were, I guess, slightly resilient in defence. They, they dug in. They were valiant and um, they did have to sort of deal with 28 shots. So to, just to concede two was uh, not the uh, the worst um, tally against them in the world. Chris Hewton did feel that at 1-0 down they were still in the game, which technically they were. But again, when you consider that City were bringing the Alamo to their defence um, and also the fact that Brighton only had four shots during the whole game, one on target, then they could have played till next Thursday Um and not scored. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those kind of games, really. Uh, um, almost a free hit for them. No disgrace in defeat to City. They won't be the first team or the last to, uh, to go there this season and um, come away with nothing. But um, for City, they go top. And it's a funny one in the sense that no one's really sort of mentioned. It's almost been forgotten. Oh, yeah, City have gone top. I mean, the focus has been on Liverpool so much. And obviously, that's led into Liverpool versus Chelsea. That, you know, City go back top. And... Uh, it's just business and normal, I guess, really. I mean, everyone's sort of um, expecting him to be challenging anyway, so it's no surprise, but I guess it's just the constant in the Premier League that City will be there. Uh, it's just whether they can go and win the title come the end of the season. Dare I say they want to sort of focus more on the Champions League because they've, under Pep, they've cracked the Premier League code, but still the big one eludes them, doesn't it? So I guess Pep 
he wants to end his drought in this competition, not winning it since 2011. The owners, a decade in now, they want to sort of see that final step. And the final step is always the toughest. But, um, you know, they want to see them be Champions League winners and join that real elite band of clubs in Europe because they are, I guess, still in that second bracket. Maybe, well, yeah, I guess. Because you've got Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern is your sort of your real European powerhouses. And then City will sit below that. And uh, But that can change, you know, City and even maybe PSG, should they sort of win a Champions League, they can finally be at the top table. That's um, something that will continue tonight and tomorrow as both teams are in Champions League action and both teams also lost, didn't they, um, in group action in a match day one. So uh, they'll be wanting to actually dust themselves off and actually get some points from the board. But more importantly, City can't overlook, um, well, they need to get through that task to get to Sunday and the big one as they go to Liverpool. Now, last season, they, uh, they didn't fare too well at Anfield, did they? It was a 4-3 defeat in the league, which, um, to be fair, was a result which sort of didn't really tell the whole balance of the game because Liverpool blew them away. And I think it's only really they took their foot off the pedal, which allowed City to get back in the game. And don't forget, City almost kept their undefeated, invincible record there. It was Sergio Aguero had a chance in, what was it, the last minute? And he flashed it just past the post, although eventually it was offside. But that was the game where City lost their um, invincibility cloak. So they will be looking for some revenge for that reason. While also not forgetting, they'll be wanting revenge for their Champions League defeat in the uh, semi-final stage last year. Sorry, the quarter-final stage last year, my, my mistake. Um, Anfield was a game to forget they were rocks on the coach as their bus took a battering um, and they I don't know if that was the key reason that they uh, fell to a 3-0 defeat but they looked off the off the boil didn't they in that game at Anfield Liverpool just seemed bang up for it from the start something that was uh, evident in the fact they were 3-0 up at half time um, City decided not to play Raheem Sterling or Pep decided not to play Raheem Sterling whether that's because he felt he wasn't mentally tough enough to absorb the uh, cacophony of boos that would have come his way should he have been on the pitch from the start. I mean, that's something he would have to decide for Sunday um, because don't forget, Sterling scored at the weekend. I thought he had a good game against Brighton. So that is a decision that needs to be made. Obviously, Pep has enough at his disposal to mix things around. If it's not um, Sterling, it could be Sane or Mahrez. So it's not a case of they'll be necessarily weakened. But at the same time, it it could help them to actually get over the line and get a um, get a result against Liverpool. Whether that result comes in the way of a draw or a win, I don't know because Liverpool will be bullish um, at getting another sort of City scout. That's two in in a row at Anfield, so they'll be looking for a, a hat trick, and they will be confident because you get the feeling they have they've got City's number, and that's the one thing that really puts them in the sort of bona fide title challenges. If they can win on Sunday, then you do sort of think they are the real deal. You know, they could be real challengers. I think, you know, they've been a side that's good Champions League quality the last couple of seasons. You know, they've been a, a solid top four side. But you can see something different in this Liverpool side now, can't you? And I think this could be the uh, the game which puts them right up there. You know, a three-point buffer um, going into another international break. The momentum would I guess be halted by that break but mentally you would think brilliant you know you'd almost want the next game next game to come around straight away in the reverse if City were to lose then 
that, or even if you know if Liverpool lose as well. But if either team loses, should I say that seed of doubt that oh you know we can't rectify this for another two weeks is going to sit on their brains for quite a while, and that could have a negative effect going into the next game into the international break. So it's all about you know how you end the, this segment of the season, and then how you sort of launch off into the next one. So the timing of the game is going to be crucial. The result even more so. We'll have to see how that one pans out. We'll focus on that one next week. But next up, we go to Huddersfield. Huddersfield now, and the word crisis. One that you can link to both they and Tottenham, albeit for differing reasons. For Huddersfield, their crisis comes in the shape of a relegation battle, as they picked up just two points from 21 this season, and are still looking for their first Premier League win of the campaign. While for Tottenham, it's crisis. What crisis? 14 days ago, it was all doom and gloom, as... um, the wheels have fallen off from Tottenham. That's been rectified somewhat with three wins in all competitions in a row. A win against Brighton in the league was much welcomed. That was followed up with a win against Watford in the Carabao Cup in the Stadium MK. So a Harlem Globetrotters tour continues. And that was followed up again with a win over Huddersfield on Saturday. It wasn't a classic performance. Dare I say it didn't really need to be. One that was more points over performance. Um, Harry Kane, he was sort of part of this crisis because he was tired and needed a rest. He got that rest against uh, Watford in the Cup. He looked well refreshed against Huddersfield. And it showed as he bagged a brace. Which ultimately was the difference in getting all three points. And getting out of Yorkshire unscathed. It wasn't an ideal performance. I mean Eric Dyer come in for criticism. Rightly or perhaps. Um, you know. I mean people are sort of saying. Oh he needs to be sold. And all things like this. Which I don't really think is is right. We all have our bad days. Um, you could argue this pod- podcast is a bad day, but I digress. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that's uh, one that needs to be facilitated in, in terms of diet being sold. I think that's throwing the baby out of the bathwater. But um, in terms of Tottenham, you know, they're fourth now. This crisis talk has dissipated. We can sort of start to look up the table again and sort of thing. Actually, you know, um, especially with Liverpool and Man City playing on Sunday, it's the perfect launch pad for us to make inroads on them. Um, obviously, one of them or both hopefully will drop points from a Tottenham point of view. And Tottenham face Cardiff on Saturday. And Cardiff, like Huddersfield, are in the exact same boat as them. Two points from 21. They can't buy a win for Toffee as their um, life in the Premier League is, is difficult. More on them in a bit. But in terms of Tottenham, they'll be smelling blood and thinking we can turn this into three straight Premier League wins. Um, I don't know if it's going to be four in all competitions because there's a small matter of Barcelona in between. So it, hopefully it'll be five in all competitions. Whether that is the case or not, I don't know. But uh, Barcelona, it might, dare I say, be the perfect time to play them because they're not coming to Wembley in the most stellar of form. Um, they drew at the weekend, a draw which saw Lionel Messi uh, started on the bench. So that's a decision that arguably backfired from Ernesto Valverde. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about how um, foreign teams coming up to the Champions League matches can afford to rest their best players and still get a result. That's um, been proven nonsense. Maybe it's more of a freak result. But um, yeah, I mean, Barcelona held at home. Two points dropped there. So they'll be wanting to bounce back in the best possible way, which is a win at Wembley. Not only that, they'll want to continue their 100% record in this season's Champions League. For Tottenham, a result is absolutely imperative. I mean, whether it's a win, which, I don't know, is perhaps wishful thinking, especially with the worryingly growing injury list that Tottenham now have. 
But, um, you know, not many people gave us a hope against Real Madrid last season. And look what happened there. But in all seriousness, if Tottenham are to get anything out of this, or dare I say, if Tottenham are to advance out of this group, they need at least a point on the board um, on Wednesday night. Because if they lose their first two, if both Barcelona and Inter win their first two, you're now looking at six points uh, deficit with four games only to overturn it. So you either need a scenario where Tottenham, um, if they don't pick up a point, at least into drop points, or Tottenham get something out of it and into it. You know what I mean? It, it can't be six points while lying in the uh, third or fourth place. They need something on the board registered after two matches. If not, then it's going to be a really, really tough next four matches for them to get into the uh, round of 16. Because then you're looking at a result, dare I, well, you're almost there, need 10 points from your last four matches. So then you're looking at PSV, you can't drop anything. You're looking at beating Inter Milan at home and then you almost have to get something at um, the new Camp. So if you can get a point now at home, it makes the new Camp tie less sort of do or die. But a loss here, it almost loses all their sort of lives and then they have to just sort of go for it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that one pans out. For me personally, um, obviously excited because it's one to, to tick off. I've never seen Lionel Messi play live, so that's going to be one to tick off the bucket list. And um, yeah, I mean, for all the the talk of um, lack of transfer policy, um, you know, with this, this crisis talk that I mentioned earlier, um, the lack of stadium being built, all that talk goes in the bin for nights such as Wednesday night. This is why, as a Tottenham fan, this is what you buy into. You know that all gets parked for just even an evening. You focus on the Champions League. Once that Champions League music blares out, and you're playing not just the team like you know Carabag or Young Boys, you're playing some of the actual cream of the crop of European football. Like I mentioned earlier about the top tier of clubs. When you're playing opposition like that, this is what, as even as a football fan, not even a Tottenham fan, but this is why you sort of buy into it, and this is um, what it's all about. And hopefully. We'll be crowing about, or I'll be crowing about a, a win in a, a couple of nights' time. Fingers crossed. But next up, we go to across North London as we go to the Emirates. Next up, Arsenal. And the question of whether they can be a real bona fide Champions League contender this season, dare I say, even a Championship contender. The latter might be a little bit ahead of themselves, but they're on 15 points, the same as Tottenham, just on the outside of the top four. And if we look at the table and the way it's sort of shaping out, you'd have to sort of point at the moment that Tottenham and Arsenal are going to be the two teams that are challenging for that final Champions League spot come the end of the season. In the past, it has been Arsenal that's come out on top in those fourth place battles. But also, don't forget that Tottenham have finished above their North London rivals in the last two seasons. There's very little to split them at the moment, as the table suggests. But even the way they've been playing on the evidence that we've seen, it's, it's hard to sort of pin down one team being better than the other. That might change, you know, further down the line. Um, key matches when they meet in the derbies will have a sort of significant swing as to sort of who can pin down that fourth. Um, but for Unai Emery's side, the wheels are turning very quickly now. We've spoken at length about their two early defeats, but they're long since forgotten now, aren't they? Five straight league wins. They're in the groove. And they're in the groove on Saturday as they got the better of Watford. A win that sees them go above them in the Premier League table. It needed a late show, it needed a, an own goal to get things started, a little bit of luck, but you'd have to say that Arsenal were probably the, just the better value for their win. Um, an own goal and then a Mesut Ozil 
strike uh, minutes later, made sure of the three points in front of their own fans. Watford will probably be, be well, they'll think to themselves they should have got a point at least because they had chances. Um, much has been made of the fact that Javi Gracia has got the, uh, the Hornets in for extra shooting training um, in the week after the uh, defeat because they, well, they had chances. Pereira had a chance, second half, went inches past the post uh, when Bert Leno came rushing out. Uh, Will Hughes had a chance, first half. It was a fantastic ball from uh, Holly Vass, which was whipped round. Deeney pulled away and nodded it down. It was on a plate for Hughes, and he just, wrong side of the goal. If he'd hit it, you know, to the other side of check, you know, it's easy to say now as a, somebody does a podcast and isn't a professional footballer, but if he hits that strike cleaner and sweeter, they go one and up, and that changes the complexion of the game completely. As it is, or as it stands, Watford will have to sort of bemoan their lack of sharpness in front of goal. And Arsenal will um, be grateful that they sort of, they didn't crack. They held out and they had that last mile in the tank. So, um, in terms of Arsenal himself, a clean sheet also helps. Um, you know, again, we've made much of this defensive underbelly, the softness. That didn't show at the weekend, the clean sheet. Um, Burnt Leno, as I mentioned Finished the game. He didn't start the game because of Petr Cech's uh, hamstring injury. So, um, obviously, you never really want to see a player injured. Um, you know, it's nothing to sort of be happy about, especially if you're a fellow professional. But Burnt Leno will be, I guess, quietly rubbing his gloves together with glee because it means that he'll get a um, an extended run in the uh, in the Premier League. And this will be his chance to uh, solidify that number one spot. Whether he can take it with both hands... We'll have to wait and see, but he looked um, more than competent enough on um, on Saturday. Dare I say that with him in goal, it allowed the um, the playing from the back style that Unai Emery is trying to implement to work better. And perhaps you know now that it's worked in the Premier League, it might just be enough for Leno to be um, not you know not the permanent number one goalkeeper, but he'll be sort of. He'll need to be dislodged and not just an automatic right check his back, you're off again. It, it looks like, you know, a perfect opportunity to make that place his own, which is about time, really. I know he's played in the Europa League and the Carabao Cup, so the, the lesser tournament so far has been he's at the preserve of the German, but um, also with um, League Football and Europa League Football coming up soon, he should get a run of games under his belt. And uh, Arsenal, yeah, they're just... They're clicking when it matters up front. Um, much has been made of the Aaron Ramsey contract saga. I thought it was quite funny, the, the visual of they, they said, oh, we've ripped up his uh, contract offer. I quite like to see that if they literally got Aaron Ramsey into the uh, into the office and just sort of ripped up the contract, just went, no, sorry, we're not going to offer this to you anymore. That would be quite cruel, but quite funny. Something you don't really see in football, but more of that, please. But in terms of Aaron Ramsey, it's it's an interesting one, really, isn't it? Because... He'll go down as an Arsenal great for the simple fact that he scored uh, goals that won Arsenal two FA Cups, which, you know, is good. But he went, he's great for sort of landmark moments such as that. But would you class his Arsenal career as great, if that makes sense? Do you know what I mean? Over the course of however long he's been there, is it nearly a decade or something, something like that? Or, you know, a good long stint. You do have to ask yourself, he's not really sort of kicked on and been an incredible player for Arsenal. You know, the player that, if he was an actual great, he would have led Arsenal to challenging for a Premier League. He's not been quite there, but, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, 
winning two FA Cups is a lot more than Tottenham have won lately or many other clubs. So he can't be sort of um, bemoaned for that. And I guess it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. Um, people have spoken about moves to Italy. I mean, that was also the same case with Jack Wilshere, wasn't it? I mean, everyone was touting him for moves to AC Milan and Juventus. That never panned out and he ended up on loan at Bournemouth and now he's injured at West Ham. So Ramsey will have to be clever and careful at the same time about where he goes for his next move. I mean, people have also spoken about AC Milan again. The link there being that Ivan Gazidis has now taken up a, uh, a position, a lofty position at the uh, at the Italian club. So it'll be interesting to see if that's a sort of natural uh, link that it can work together again. That'll be interesting to see. Or, where, or actually, whether he'll be um, sold in January. You could see another Alexis Sanchez situation where they think to themselves, OK... We could have sold this summer. They didn't. They sort of missed out on a potential fifty million. If you believe the papers, your fee will probably be lesser. Well, it will be lesser. You can't see fifty million for Ramsey in January. But if you put a figure, of, I don't know, twenty-five million, twenty million, perhaps. I don't know. That's a ballpark figure. But they they want to recoup some money. They, well, they might not. They might want to run these contracts out. But um, that might d- depend on where Arsenal are come. January, they might sort of think to themselves, okay, if we are really pushing for top four, we're only shooting ourselves in the foot. If we do sell Ramsey now, let's give him another uh, four or five months. That might be enough for him to even win a contract. You know, things do change very quickly. Um, So that'll be an interesting one. So uh, watch this space. And next up, we're going to look at our Loser Pool Picks of the Week. Okay, then it's time for our Loser Pool Picks of the Week. I'll recap the league standings. As you should know by now, it's a base level of 10 points. Three points if your team loses, minus two if your team doesn't. So, Deus' record is perfect as he's on 22 points after four correct picks from four weeks. While myself and Cole are on 17 points as we got our first week of picks wrong but have been ever steady since. I'll recap last week's uh, picks and they were JS picking Brighton to lose at Man City. 2-0 to Man City, he was spot on. And it was 2 nils across the board, actually, as Carl went for Huddersfield to lose. They lost 2-0 to Tottenham. And I went for a slightly uh, edgy one. I went for Watford to lose at Arsenal. It came good in the end. 2-0 to the Gunners. And, uh, yes, so three points for all. More importantly, what about this week? So the, uh, the longer our runs go unbeaten or undefeated in terms of picks, the harder it gets. Because, obviously, soon we're going to have to start picking some uh, some sort of iffy fixtures or the ones that could go either way I think we're just about safe this week but for next week it's going to get that little bit tougher so where should we start with we'll start with Cole's pick of Cardiff to lose at Tottenham he's been sensible he's held up with Cardiff but this is the time he's played his Cardiff joker shall I say because as I referenced earlier two points from 21 for the Bluebirds they can't seem to buy one at the moment well obviously they haven't but um, for Neil Warnock's men they've been Unfortunate at times, but at other times they've been lacklustre. I mean, against City the week before uh, their defeat to Burnley, you sort of think to yourself, well, they're never in the races there. But at the same time, no no one ever really expected them to be in the races at that one. So it's probably a bit unfair. But against Burnley, um, they were level at one point and then they were behind. Warnock had something to moan about towards the end. You know, you can't keep sort of blaming everyone else. You've got to look at your own shortfalls. And those shortfalls are quite simply a lack of goals. And also, I don't think Neil Warnock knows how to sort of rectify the situation. Something he said himself, he goes, I just, I don't know how to get us out of this mess. 
that leads to the situation where you think to yourself, okay, if you're the Cardiff owner, how much can you sort of live on sentiment? I think uh, people in football have very short memories. I know Cardiff got promoted last season, but it is a case of what have you done for me lately? And uh, Cardiff haven't done anything lately for Vincent Tan. And it's something that's going to sort of, if the longer it continues, you know, if we get to 10 games, maybe even if we go into the international break, you know, eight matches, if Cardiff don't get that win or even a point against Tottenham, it could be the uh, the end of Warnock. So, um, so much so that Carl was um, correct. Well, not say correctly yet. Hopefully correctly picked. But he's gone for Cardiff. A smart pick. Whether he's uh, right or not, we'll wait and see. But he's gone for Cardiff to lose at Tottenham. JS has gone for Newcastle to lose at Manchester United. Um, even though Manchester United have been god-awful in this last week or so, Newcastle have been worse. It's hard to sort of fathom, really. But, you know, uh, a team like Cardiff, one of three teams um, that have only picked up two points from 21. I referenced a couple of weeks back that Newcastle have been unfortunate in the sense that they've had some real tricky fixtures. And each time they lost 2-1, they played Leicester at home. And you thought, OK, this is the game they need to get something on the board. They didn't. They were again outclassed by a Leicester side that... Uh, Looking about par, you know, you think they're not going to repeat anything like they did in the uh, fairy tale Premier League winning season. But if they can be seventh to, you know, any between that seventh to tenth bracket, they'll be sort of fine. They are where they are. James Madison doing uh, great things, and you would think an England call is uh, just around the corner. But for Newcastle, it's the same old story, isn't it? A lack of goals. Um, they've just got no threat. They've got, you know, Benitez likes to sort of tinker and chop and change, but. For all his tinkering, it's not it's not working. But I, I think that's more... I don't think that's an indictment on him. I think it's the players he has at his disposal. Um, that comes down to a lack of funding in the summer, something that can't be rectified by January at the earliest. Um, so they're going to be in for a long few months. And I don't think it's going to get any easier at Old Trafford. It's going to be the perfect tonic for United after such a, a difficult um, period. I mean, the Champions League result notwithstanding, obviously I don't know that yet because we're recording it beforehand, but even if that one didn't go to plan, they get something out of Newcastle because if they don't get anything out of that one, oh dear, oh dear, I wouldn't like to be uh, in Jose Mourinho's shoes. But JS has gone for Newcastle to lose at Manchester United and I'm going to go with, let's have a look, um, I'm going to go with Southampton to lose at home to Chelsea. Now, last season, uh, Southampton were 2-0 up in this game and it looked like they were coasting and almost had one foot in a Premier League survival. They threw that one away after Chelsea dug in and turned the result around to win 3-2 in one of the uh, the last hurrahs for Antonio Conte. One of the last sort of good things he did was um, turn that game around. But, you know, I think it's going to be pretty much the same in terms of the result. I can't even really see Southampton getting two goals, really. I don't think the Saints are going to be... Um, relegated I think they might just again keep themselves on the right side of the dotted line 17th even perhaps I do feel that the three teams that are below them in Huddersfield, Newcastle and Cardiff will be the teams to go down I just think that that little bit um, worse off in terms of quality and just the way they are I just I think Southampton might just have a, enough to keep themselves afloat but even for a club of that nature it's diminishing returns now really isn't it we talk about the Saints from a few years back and this constant conveyor belt of talent that they had. Um, 
the identity they've got is lost, really, isn't it? It's not quite a Stoke kind of football that's unfair, but they, they've lost that identity, which was a, an up-and-coming club, something on the periphery of doing something great. They're not that anymore. Now it's just about, can we stay afloat in the Premier League? Um, it's a free hit, in essence, for them, but I don't think they're going to get anything out of the tie against uh, Chelsea at the weekend. So I'll recap the picks. Uh, Carl has gone for Cardiff to lose at Tottenham. JS has gone for Newcastle to lose at Manchester United. And I've gone for the only home loss. A little bit of a risk, but, you know, I think I'm confident in my pick. And I'm going to go for Southampton to lose at home to Chelsea. And that wraps up our loser pool picks of the week. Next up, I want to talk about Wolves and the start of the season that they're having. An incredibly good one, it must be said. One that continued with a 2-0 win against Southampton at the weekend. Many felt that they'll be absolutely fine in terms of warding off relegation this season. And, you know, you think they'll be right. But also, the question now is just how high they can finish up the table. Because this might sound a little crazy, but I think they can finish as high as 7th. They could. Whether they will or not, I don't know. So, slightly sitting on the fence there. But if I try and give you some reasoning behind it, I mean, they've taken to the Premier League like a duck to water. The way they play football, you would think they are some sort of established club that's been there for a good five, six years. You know, they're playing the same or even better kind of football than Bournemouth. You know, they're at that kind of level already. You could easily point to the fact they've spent a lot of money and they have Jorge Mendes in the background doing his wheeling dealing. But at the same time, they still need to go out and get results. They've drawn at home to Manchester City. They've drawn away at Manchester United. Two fantastic results for them this early in the campaign. And it's just a question of, how much they want it and how far they can go up the table because we also spoke about this last week that you get the feeling soon that maybe not this season but two maybe three seasons down the line they're going to be a bona fide top half team you know even if it's this season they're going to make the likes of Everton and Leicester's job so much harder to be a team to crack the glass ceiling of the top six I think personally if anyone is going to break the top six it's going to be Wolves and I mean top six breaking in consistent manner not just like a Leicester fly by night of you know and this is not to denigrate what they did but not just a one season smash and grab kind of job I mean Wolves going to be there every season and making life even hard for teams like Tottenham Arsenal Manchester United do you know what I mean like really being an established powerhouse in English football because they've got all the tools there they've got the fan base they've got the stadium you know they've got players who want to come to the club because you know it's not that they're unfashionable, but it's not a team that you'd necessarily link with free-flowing football and all that, but it's given players like Ruben Evers the perfect opportunity to be in the shop window. Sell it to them. Play for us for, you know, two seasons. Be absolutely brilliant, and we'll give you the the freedom to go and move to the big club you deserve, you know, the, the true measure of your talents. And if it works for Wolves, then why not? And it could just be, like I just referenced a minute ago about Southampton's conveyor belt, then it Wolves could just do it on a completely different scale and just blow teams out of the water. So, you know, they whether they'll go from strength to strength, they who knows really. I mean, it's a lot of that will come down to whether they can keep hold of their manager. Um, obviously, they're not going to sack him unless they really hit the skids. But it's more of a threat of uh, whether bigger teams want to uh, take on the services of Nuno Espirito Santo because for me, it could create something of a merry-go-round. We spoke about. Jose Mourinho, if he leaves Manchester United, it could mean that uh, Pochettino becomes United manager. It could even mean that 
uh, Nuno Espirito Santo becomes Tottenham manager. It could even mean that he becomes straight towards United manager. Do you know what I mean? These things aren't outside the realms of possibility, really, especially if Wolves are knocking on the door. The best way to nullify the threat of a team like that is just to take their manager and take the sort of... Uh, the mindset away from them. So it'll be interesting to see. It's not something that's going to sort of happen overnight where the Wolves can really announce itself on the grand stage, but they've got all the tools and they're doing all the right things and they're just a really good team to watch. They, they remind me slightly of Swansea under the sort of um, Brendan Rodgers, Brian Al- sorry, Michael Aldrup era and they're just a you know, team that plays neat, tidy possession football. It's not going to win you every game, but you know when you look at... Um, some of the super Sunday offerings we've had, dare I say, uh, what was it, Cardiff Burnley, which technically should be banned as a super Sunday. Sorry to any fans of those two clubs, but that's illegal, really, isn't it? That's contractual obligation super Sunday, that. Cause, but then I guess that was against the Ryder Cup, wasn't it? So if you're going to pick a bad game to, to show, put it on that weekend. Um, thankfully, it's a lot better this time around um, when we've got Liverpool City. But back to Wolves. Yeah, you know, I guess from a neutral's point of view, I wouldn't say long may it continue, but it would be interesting to see them if they can upset the apple cart and really establish themselves in the uh, in the top half of the pecking order. Looking at that pecking order, we also have to consider Bournemouth, don't we? They win over Crystal Palace on Monday, sees them move up to 7th. 13 points from a possible 21, sees them on the same tally as Watford. And the win sees them leapfrog the likes of Leicester, Wolves and Man United. So at the same time I'm saying that Wolves could finish 7th, you could almost apply that statement to Bournemouth. It might, again, be a little outlandish. But Eddie Howe's men, they are an established Premier League club now. I think, although they play in a very small ground, I think we've got to stop using the tag small Bournemouth, little Bournemouth, because, again, it does them a disservice. The question now is how much do sort of Bournemouth want this progression up the table? Not only that, how far do they want their season to go in the Cups? In the past, they've been accused of not giving the Cups their all. Something which has made sure they've stayed in the Premier League. So, you know, by resting and rotating in the FA Cup and the League Cup, it has um, made them fresher in the in the English top flight matches. And the ends have justified the means because they've stayed up. But they're not in a, an immediate danger. They're not a club like um, Huddersfield, Newcastle or Cardiff. And you get the feeling now they probably could have a crack at a cup. Let's look at the, the Carabao Cup, for example. They are in the next round of the Hats. They're paired with Norwich at home after beating Blackburn 3-2. And win that, and they're in the quarterfinals. Then they can really start to think, hang on, you know, we can start to almost dare to dream about Wembley. Um, there'll still be some big clubs in the hat to face should they get to the last eight. But there's nothing that can phase them there, you know. And I think they can afford dare to play or play their best um, best players. And, you know, in cup football, you never know, do you? You absolutely never know. Um, but I think the quality between, say, 7th and 17th this season, there's no real standout club at the moment you know I guess you have to put Man United in that in that poll but if we sort of assume that Man United are the big six and they will at least finish in that top half dozen Watford Bournemouth Leicester and Wolves are in that sort of bracket where you know they could produce the seventh place finish from them let's not forget Everton who are again in the same sort of bracket of conceding as much as they score I know we spoke about a lack of firepower last week for the Toffees and then they scored three goals against Fulham so you know what do I know what do we know as this podcast not a lot you might say but um, they found that firepower if they can keep finding that firepower then you know they could start knocking on the door on the fringes of um, the top six or seven they've got a little bit of work to do that was only their second league win of the season 
But at the same time, they've drawn three matches as well. So they've only lost two. It's, it, it's like any sort of stat. It's how you want to split it and send it in your way to sort of show a different kind of narrative. So it'd be a bit unfair to say that Everton have had a poor start season. But at the same time, not quite the season that they would have hoped for. Um, so, you know, if they can sort of get the goals out of uh, Chenk Tossen, as we referenced last week, it's not just tossing money down the Chenk, um, then... Um, Oh, I shouldn't laugh about jokes, it's awful. But uh, yeah, if, if they can get goals out of him and also like the supporting cast such as Walcott, Sigurdsson, then they could, you know, be the best of the rest. But I think it's going to be a step too far for them to be, you know, part of that half dozen. And, you know, it's shown how much money that it needed to uh, to be part of that elite group and they still can't get um, into the top six. So, you know, what I wouldn't say it's worrying times for Everton, but it's, have they sort of reached as far as they can, can get? Who knows? You know, you get those sort of seasons where they could break through. They are capable of it, but I don't think it's this uh, time around. The team that Everton beat on the weekend was Fulham. Now, with Fulham, you get the feeling it's either their goals are going to keep them up or their defence is going to send them down. The goal threat is obvious with Alexander Mitrovic. Their defence is porous at best. I mean, they've conceded 16 goals, which, along with Cardiff and Huddersfield, is the most in the Premier League this season. And that's already an average of more than two per game, which is a worrying stat for Slavisa Jakanovic. Like I say, the goal threat is probably the thing that's going to keep them above water, but that is cause of concern. I mean, the only thing that's really keeping them above water at the moment is the fact they beat Burnley early in the season. So they've got five points where the other teams below them have got two. So it could be a case where they're just the, uh, the fourth Worst team in the Premier League this season. But at the end of the day, as a Fulham fan, you'd probably take that. Or actually, you arguably would take that, wouldn't you? I mean, if I was to offer a Fulham fan now, would you finish 17th in the Premier League? And would you be happy with it? I expect oh, I'd have my arm bitten off. But, you know, this is a promoted team. We can't all be like Wolves. who are just bomb burning the, the Premier League at the moment. It, it is a natural thing, isn't it? Promoted teams will struggle. You know, it's just the way of life sometimes in the, in the top flight. So... Fulham will have some work to do. Uh, they'll have to hope that the home points um, keep ticking over because as a promoted side, that's the most important thing. It's not necessarily about points on the road. If you can get a, a run of form in front of your own fans, then it does uh, so much of a job for you. Look at Brighton last season. I mean, they're also on five points. You look at that sort of 15th to 17th bracket at the moment, Brighton, Southampton, Fulham, you Sort of think, yeah, actually, that's probably where they'll finish this season. I mean, looking at the Premier League table as it is, it's almost found its natural balance. I know we keep sort of referencing that Man United a tenth. They're probably the only two sort of striking outcasts at the moment are Man United in tenth and Everton in eleventh. Should they move up the table as expected eventually, then the natural order will finally be sort of um, restored, and then we'll, we'll move into the season. And then really, that's when the sort of the battle start because. In any sort of first, even the first seven weeks where we are now, the table still needs to like fluctuate a bit and you can't really say, OK, that team's definitely going to go down and that team's going to compete for this. But after 10 games, let's get I don't know to the November international break and then we'll really start to see the table sort of balance out as to where it's going to be for the season and then we can start to sort of pinpoint who's going to be celebrating and who's going to be commiserating come the end of the season. And right then, I think that's probably... a about it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks for staying with me. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's been a, a bit of an ordeal doing this pod, but it's all good practice, isn't it? And it is the best podcast in the world. As always, um, I'll be back each week. Um, just so stick with me. 
Again, iTunes, subscribe to that so you don't miss an episode. If you want to get hold of me, you can. I'm on Twitter at DanTracy1983. Comments, feedback, etc. Find them my way. If you ever want to talk about football, just hit me up. I'm always happy to. That's all the admin. So it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.